welcome to Munich for the 27th City Olympiad, an event held traditionally every 3.7 years, which this year has brought together competitors from over 4 million different countries. And uh, here we are at the start of the first event of the afternoon, the second semi-final of the 100 yards for people with no sense of direction. Uh, I'll just give you the competitors. Lane 1 is Kolomoski of Poland. Lane 2 is of France. Lane 3, Grobovich of the United States. Next to him, Drabble of Trinidad. Next to him, Fernandez of Spain. And in the outside lane, Borman of Brazil. was fun, wasn't it? And now over to the other end of the stadium. And they're under starters' orders. Well, we'll be coming back the moment there's any action. And now over to the swimming. And you join us here at the Bundes Absurd Pool just in time to see the start of the 200 metres freestyle for non-swimmers. Watch for the tough Australian champion Ron Barnett in the second lane. bringing you back here the moment they start fishing the corpses out. But the starters have a magnificent show. We've had boys, rapids, uh, scattered round them far, fusillades, firing at women. Can't get that bananas moving. Enough to make you chew your own foot off. Here we are at the 3,000 meter steeplechase for people who think they're chickens. There's Samuelson of the United States and over there is Carl Kibbe's Germany. He's been a Rhode Island Red now for the last three Olympics. Now's the referee trying to get them going but he's fighting them. There's the leader, Abe Siegel of Canada. A went off, got a very good start then settled down there on the water jump and is now gone. Probably overstated um, or overplayed uh, but not necessarily uh, overstated when it comes to how painful it can look to look at people who have no direction in their lives. In fact, how painful it is when we live lives that lack direction. Let me think about it. The, the teenager who goes uh, through his high school years and can't seem to find his fit and so just gives up and withdraws into alcohol or drugs, or uh, the college student who, who graduates and struggles to find a job in a field that matches their degree, which they lost interest in about the first year of college. Uh, the woman whose, whose kids grow up and leave the nest and she struggles to find out just who she is beyond just being a mother. Or the man in his 50s who loses his job and waits every day by the phone hoping that someone will call and give him employment and back his identity. Or the marriage that just struggles with trying to keep a little bit of life back in it. Uh, the husband and wife who stare down vows for a lifetime, even though there seems to be no life in what they have. The depressed person who every day struggles just to have the motivation to get out of bed for a few hours. Living without direction is a painful thing. It's painful when we see the obvious, and it's even more insidious when we look at what isn't so obvious. Uh, the man or the woman who has uh, 
achieved and has received everything that they would hope for and yet find that they're still empty and lonely and hopeless inside with the only solace being found in maybe two or three drinks a night or their next affair or their next new toy. Living lives without direction, it's painful to see and it's painful to experience. And if you've ever been there, and at one time or another we all have, we know what that feels like. This morning as we continue our series on what a difference a Christmas can make, I want to look at the difference that Christmas makes in the direction that it brings to our lives. Because one of the greatest gifts that Christmas gives to us is a whole new sense of direction. A a whole new understanding of the power of the right direction that is made possible for us in Christ. And so this morning, we're going to look at uh, Matthew's gospel, uh, Matthew chapter 2, because Matthew uh, tells us something powerful about direction. Now, uh, before we do that, I want to give you uh, just a little bit of an understanding of what direction is when we talk about it, why it's important. Um, And so the first definition I want to give you is this. Direction leads us from our present position to our desired destination. So why is direction important? Because without it, you're just standing still. You're going nowhere. Or you're just engaging in a frenzy of activity with no productivity behind it. Direction leads us from our present position to our desired destination. But more than that, practically, psychologically, um, direction provides the passion for motivation and the intention for action. It provides the passion for motivation because if we're not passionate, it's hard to be motivated. But when we're passionate, when there's passion, there's motivation. And when there's motivation, there's the intention that we need to engage in action. While those are the definitions, they don't help us in the sense of where direction comes from. Knowing what is the right direction to engage in. And so this morning, as we look at Matthew's gospel, I want to share with you uh, a powerful truth that comes out of it. And we're going to look, I'm going to give it to you right up front, because as we look at it, we're going to unpack it in this passage. And that is this. Only when we look to heaven for direction will we find lasting satisfaction. Only when we look to heaven for direction will we find lasting satisfaction. I mean, think about it. How many things have you thought would bring you satisfaction? And so you headed in that direction only to find it and find that at best, 
your satisfaction was only temporary, that you were still left feeling empty and lonely and hopeless. Because the truth is, real direction has to come from the one who understands where we need to land in our destination, and that's God. It's only, <coughs> excuse me, when we look to heaven that we find the satisfaction that comes from a God-given direction. And so this morning, we're going to see this, excuse me, in Matthew's gospel. And so we're going to look at Matthew chapter 2. And um, I'm going to unpack this as we go along, but let's just look at the first few verses. What we read in Matthew's gospel is, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When, Herod, when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. Now, let me give you a little understanding of the, of the passage. Um, first of all, who is Herod? <clears throat> I was thinking about this this week. If you want to get a good picture in your mind of, of what King Herod was like, picture Saddam Hussein. Because Saddam Hussein matches the image perfectly. Saddam Hussein, and many of you know the atrocities he committed, he was a guy who was absolutely paranoid, always looking for anyone who might overthrow him, anyone who might disagree with him, anyone who might best him in any way. And when he found them, he would torture them and kill them in brutal and bloody ways. That's just like Herod, except with Herod you have to add the insanity of multiple venereal diseases. Herod was a person who wasn't just given to drink, he was a person whose parties were well known for debauchery and who would spend his time drunk, running around, marrying and divorcing and killing and having affairs with anybody he could. And Herod <laughs> was called King of the Jews. Herod was considered to be the leader of the Jewish people and even... Uh, to hold within his leadership a sense of spiritual leadership. Herod was the most crooked politician. You know, we talk about slimy politicians today. None of them would hold a candle to this guy. Herod was a puppet of Rome. And he would watch the politics of the day because Roman politics uh, changed every night uh, because uh, Emperors would be slain and new ones put in and, and they'd be taken out and Herod would be the kind of guy who would watch to see who was the most brutal, who was the most, most ruthless on the horizon 
and that's the person he would attach himself to in order to just protect his, his own life in his own kingdom within the nation or within the empire of Rome. That's who Herod was. What we read <clears throat> is while Herod was in power, Magi from the east came looking for the king of Israel, for the king of the Jews. Now, who are Magi? Probably the best, most accurate way of putting it, Magi were, you could say they were the, um, the scientists of the day. They were more than the, just that. They were people who who were considered to be um, intellectual. They were people who were considered uh, to be spiritual, even though it tended to be a cult. But they were people who who lived to understand what was going on on the earth and what was going on in the stars and in the heavens. Um, we don't know exactly where they come from. Some people have argued that they came as far east as China, most likely. They came from the Parthian Empire, uh, but they came a great distance. What you see with these magi is a total contrast with what you see with Herod. Because these were people who were following a godly direction. And a godly direction always overcomes intimidation. Make no mistake about it, they knew who Herod was. They knew when they blew into town and started asking uh, where the new king was, that wasn't going to go over big with Herod. I mean, think about it. Can you imagine someone going into downtown uh, um, Iraq and, and when Saddam Hussein was still in power and saying, where's the real president of Iraq? They wouldn't last very long. And that's exactly what these Magis did. Without any fear of intimidation, they walked right into a viper's nest. Because that's the benefit of godly direction. In fact, it's the only kind of direction you can receive in life that will help you overcome your fears and overcome intimidation in life. You can receive direction from college. You can receive direction from parents. You can receive direction from mentors or people um, who, are, who are experts in their fields. But that's not going to give you the power to overcome your own intimidation, your own sense of fear. It's only when we look to the direction that comes from heaven any intimidation think about uh, the people in San Bernardino who were massacred and now they're finding out that all of them were Christians and that there was most likely an agenda for their killing does that kill the Christian message by killing 
the people who believe it? Does that kill the faith of the people that they murdered? Not at all. Because we believe in a message that can't be scared away by intimidation. We believe in a message that isn't afraid of fear because perfect faith and love cast out all fear. When you look at these two guys, what you see is one guy who is king, or guys, one man who is king, who's deathly afraid of everybody who lives in paranoia because his direction comes from his own ambition. And then you see a group of men, and we don't know how many, whose direction comes from, comes from heaven. And they're not afraid of anything. What does your direction come from? What really directs your life? Wall Street? Main Street, what you can buy and accumulate? What causes you to... You see, if you're going to live a life that has direction, that provides satisfaction, there's only one place you can find that. There's only one place to look, and that's to heaven. These magis followed a star. Now, we know that the Jews were scattered throughout the Roman Empire and they were scattered abroad and somehow these men had heard the story about a coming king, about a king who was, who was coming, sent from God to redeem his people. And when they saw this star, they knew something supernatural and historic was going on. And they left everything and they followed it because their faith was stronger than their fears if you take your cues from God if you trust in what you know God would have you to do you don't have to fear anything in fact it's the only time we can really say we feel safe because it's in that kind of vulnerability that we find real security. As Paul said, what can separate us from the love of Christ? Not life, not death, death, nor not height, nor depth. Nothing can separate us. It's only when we give ourselves over totally to God and to his plan for our lives can anything go right. It's only when you receive direction from heaven that you can get over whatever intimidation you face. Look what we read. When King Herod, excuse me, when he had called uh, together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, and the land of Judea are by no means least among the rulers of Judea, for out of you will come a ruler who will be 
the shepherd of my people Israel. What does heavenly direction do for us? Not only does it overcome intimidation, but it provides recognition over confusion. Here's Herod, think about it. A guy called what? King of the Jews. And he, don't know the, and he doesn't know the words of his own prophets. Here's a guy who is king of a people who are called by God to be a blessed nation, to be a chosen nation, to be a special people. And this guy has no clue who he is or what he's about. He has to go and run and ask his leaders, his people, what he should already know. Here's the thing about looking to God for godly direction. If you do, you won't walk in confusion. One of the beautiful things that God has given us in his word is the power to understand the times and not to fear them or be confused by them. The power to understand that no matter what time we live in, God is still in control over those times. That no matter the ups and the downs of economies or or the, the hostilities of nations, we still follow one mission. And that is simply to make Christ known and to move closer to God in Christ. No matter what happens, we can still live with recognition and not confusion. Because there are people today that are in total confusion over what's going on who live in total fear over the things they see and engage in behaviors that not only don't bring them satisfaction, but quite frankly, just become at least a distraction from real life. When we look to heaven, when we look to God, when we're willing to follow his word like the Magi follow the star, then we can know what's going on. We don't have to live in confusion. We don't have to live in fear because nothing changes. Jesus said to his disciples, the Great Commission, go out and make disciples, teaching them all that I, baptizing in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them all that I've taught you. And lo, I'll be with you always. And you want to know what? That hasn't changed. Not one bit. Economies have come and gone. Kingdoms have risen and fallen. Uh, Leaders have, uh, have been corrupt and have been honest. But all of it doesn't put a dent, doesn't deter us one bit from a mission that God has given us. Because we don't live in confusion. We live in recognition. 
look what else we read. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went and on their way, <clears throat> on their way in the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed on coming to the house. They saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Godly direction will always bring you satisfaction. It will always bring you satisfaction. God will not lead you to where he will not take you to. If you are willing to believe and to trust and to follow God, you'll get to where he wants you to be. And that's one of the hardest things in the world for us to understand. Because most of us get too caught up in where we want to be. And the thing we forget to ask ourselves is, but how does that end? Not well. What we should be asking ourselves and finding peace and comfort in is, God, where do you want me to be? Because you know, the truth is this. You can be exactly where God wants you to be and be unemployed. You can be exactly where God wants you to be and be divorced. You can be exactly where God wants you to be to be and be alone. Because as long as you're with him, you'll find completion and satisfaction in life. You can be totally broke and yet be the richest person around you. Because only by following godly direction do we find satisfaction. I talk to people all week who have no satisfaction because the direction that they're following is a direction that comes from the distortions of their parents or the distortions of, of our society, the distortions of their own sinful natures. And they're empty, even though on paper they look rich. Because God can only fill that void in us that is a separation of us from God. It's only when we're at peace with him can we find contentment within ourselves. Where do you receive your direction? And let me ask you, has it brought you any real satisfaction? Most people who receive their direction from the cues of this world will end up dying lonely and empty and hopeless. And yet I I have been at the bedsides of people 
who lived their lives hooking themselves to the star of Christ and who have died with contentment even though on paper they were just an average person even though they weren't more popular or or more spectacular than anyone else they had a peace and a joy and a richness that comes from drawing near to God. Where do you find real satisfaction? You find it when you look up to the heavens. Because when your direction comes from heaven, it is always meant to lead you to satisfaction. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and incense and myrrh. Godly direction will always bring you to satisfaction and to celebration. There's nothing more beautiful than worship. There's nothing more important than worship. There's nothing more fulfilling then when we come and worship God and we bring everything we are in the process. Why should you sing in the mornings? Because you have something to sing about. If you don't sing, you probably are still struggling with where your direction is coming from and what your destination should be. Because coming and singing praises to God and celebrating and giving our gifts to God, whether it's in this place or throughout the week, that should be our, our highest sense of joy. Because when we worship, when we follow God's direction, we will live lives of celebration. We will live lives of joy. Does that mean bad things won't happen? That you won't shed tears? That you won't hurt? No. But it does mean this, that you'll be able to live your life every day knowing that God is good and you're okay. You'll be able to live your life every day knowing who to thank And what to celebrate over. Think about it. Most people have to do what to celebrate? Get drunk, get high. Think about that. Isn't that crazy? You have to get drunk or high to celebrate. Because you can't pull it out from inside of you. Because real celebration comes from godly direction. Real celebration comes when we know that we have followed God and he has brought us to a place where there is so much to be thankful for and so much he has given us to offer back to him as a gift of worship. Lastly, and having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, 
they returned to their country by another route. <clears throat> Heavenly direction brings us protection. You don't have to worry about how it's going to turn out. God always brings you home. You know, when I thought about the, the whole massacre in San Bernardino, you know, I thought, can you kill a Christian? No. No. You can, you can bring an end to their body, but not to their lives. You can uh, take away their ability to walk the earth, but but not to walk the streets of heaven. You can't kill a life that is protected by God. And the reality is you can't even take a life unless God determines. <clears throat> it's that life's time and for his purposes. You know, we look at this stuff and we say, you know, boy, how could God let that happen? Let what happen? Fifteen people go to heaven? I know, it's, it's awful, isn't it? Our human nature talks like that. And, yet, and for sure, the, the grief and the pain of, of those who have lost loved ones, I've lost loved ones. And yet, even in that, what brings me peace is knowing that I haven't lost anything if they've been found in Christ. Because God's protection always leads us home. Because anyone who follows a godly direction doesn't have to worry about their protection. That's why when Christians fear and when we do goofy things, when we're worried about the end of the world and planning for disaster, it's not of God. If anyone had a right to worry about their lives, to go hide in bunkers. It was the first century Christians. <clears throat> they were hunted down like animals. In fact, I, I almost don't want to do this, but I'm going to say, it looks like there's a great movie coming out in January called Risen. I don't know if any of you have seen the trailers. Hopefully Hollywood won't mess it up. But it's about uh, Roman soldiers, and it's got some big actors, uh, but basically how they're being sent out to find the body of Christ because of uh, the embarrassment of, of the fact that a person they put in a grave and put a seal on left. The reality for us is, is to recognize that we are free, that we are fully protected by God that we can live every single day not worrying about death only seeking to maximize life because that's the promise of the gospel and if we could understand that psychologically there'd be no anxiety there'd be no fear because ultimately when you break anxiety down, it's the fear of death. 
And for Christians, there should be no fear of death. So let me ask you, where do you get your direction from? Honestly, I want you to think about it for a minute. Where do you get your direction from? Your bank book? Your boss? Your wife? Your husband? Your kids? From what the culture says makes you important? Where does it come from? Where do you want it to come from? Think about direction. Three things I want to share with you. If, if you want it to come from God, if you want it to come from heaven, first you have to understand direction is about a person. Or your, your direction, your destination is about a person. It isn't about a job. It isn't about a house. It isn't about retirement. Your direction, your destination should be about God. Am I getting closer to Christ every day? If I am, then I know my life is directed by God. It's directed by heaven itself. If your destination is anything else than a person, than God, then it ends badly. Number two. Understanding your mission is redemption. Your mission is not to make a lot of money to be comfortable, to go on a lot of vacations and have a lot of fun, to gather around you many friends so you don't get lonely. That's not your mission. Your mission is redemption. Your mission is salvation. Your mission is to share the good news of Christ. Your mission is to make sure that when you walk out of here this morning, you spend the rest of the week trying to get others to walk in with you during next Sunday. Your mission is that they hear from you the gospel of Christ and they come and they celebrate the good news. That's what your mission is. You're not a bum. You're not lazy. You're not directionless if this is how you're living. Number three, Your actions, and that should say are, a means of celebration. In other words, in what I'm doing today, in the actions I'm engaging in, are they a celebration, an act of worship to God? If they're not, then I know my direction doesn't come from heaven. And I can justify anything. I mean, I, I don't know about how good you are, but I'm really good at it. <clears throat> I once bought a, a boat, <clears throat> and, and, uh, and it was a good-sized boat. It had a big engine, and it, I mean, it was, I loved it. I had to get rid of it when my kids went to Christian school. Price you pay. Um, <clears throat> and, uh, and I had a friend of mine one time say, 
joking with me. He was messing with. He said, "You know, you know, how can you have a boat like this and 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 and, and call yourself a Christian?" I said, "Very easily. It seats twelve, and the apostles were twelve, so it works." Well, we do stuff like that all the time, don't we? Well, God wants me to be happy, and this makes me happy. No, God wants you to be holy. And if you're holy, you'll be happy. If you're not, you'll be miserable. Do the actions you engage in, do the conversations you engage in, bring forth celebration? When people talk to you, are they inspired? Do they feel like you just walked out of a room where you spoke with God and you're now speaking with them? And they become touched and changed. Inspired because what you say and what you do breeds celebration in their lives. The story of a man who, at a very young age, determined that he was going to be a billionaire. In fact, he was the first real billionaire this country saw. By the age of 23, he was a millionaire. Think about that. Age of 23. And he continued to pursue his goals so that by the age of 50, he was our country's first billionaire. The problem is, the joy of it only lasted for about three years. And then his body began to fall apart. He was literally bedridden and pain and wasting away. And even uh, the most skilled physicians that he could hire came to him and said, you got about a year. You're not going to last any longer. So one night he had this dream and when he woke up in the morning, he couldn't really recognize fully the dream. But what he did recognize or remember was that he needed to do something with his money that would make a difference, that would make his life worthwhile. And so he got his attorneys together and he started giving money to all sorts of hospitals and charities. And by his giving, he helped to bring cures to things like uh, malaria. Uh, By his giving, he helped to bring cures to diphtheria. By his giving, he began to make a huge difference. And, and here's the incredible part. By his giving, he began to come alive again. Because his giving was part of a direction that he felt came from heaven. And so he began to press on. This guy who was supposed to have died at 53 lived to 98. His name was John D. Rockefeller. And anything, anyone you know about him and anyone within Christian circles know uh, the different religious institutions that he funded. But only because he came to a point in his life 
or having achieved and acquired all that he thought would be more than what he could ever need, it didn't meet his needs. Only when he began to realize that his direction was way off course and began to to start to realign it to another course, to a direction that was inspired by heaven, to a direction that made a difference in the lives of other people, not himself. Did he begin to find any satisfaction? What's the gift of Christmas? Satisfaction. Satisfaction in knowing you have a direction. Satisfaction in knowing that your destination you meet every day if you choose to because it's in a person. It's about moving closer to God and his will for your life and that never turns out badly. It'll make the cheap person generous. It'll make the angry person calm. It'll make the lustful person pure. It'll make the person who, who struggles with other people powerful and effective. If you're willing to take your direction from heaven. <laughs> like the Magi, if you're willing to look up God to see where you should go. Let's join our hearts in prayer.